G'day everyone and welcome to the Retro Chat Podcast. We are coming to you live from the Information Superhighway across all of the MOS network. Wherever you can watch video, you can watch us or you can listen to us on podcast. My name is Andy Evans. Uh, thanks for joining me. Uh, may notice that um, I have no other people. I've got no Lee. I've got no Lawrence. It's the first time in a couple of weeks I've been flying solo. Uh, and tonight we have got a cracker of a show because we're going to be talking all about Battlestar Galactica, the original series uh, featuring Lorne Green and, and Dirk Benedict. But before we do that, let's kick off with some really exciting news. Uh, something that I found out literally about 20 minutes ago today. <clears throat> the Retro Chat podcast is joining the MOS network, has now uh, debuted in the iTunes chart here in the UK at position 86. It's the highest chartable position we've had since we launched in April or May of last year. So thank you to everyone uh, listening on podcasts and for those watching on YouTube and across the MOS network. It's amazing to be doing this show for you and to chart at 86 above Stranger Things podcasts, above Only Fools and Horses, above, uh, you know, some of the biggest podcasts out in the TV world is brilliant. And uh, we are so pleased to uh, to be doing it. All right, so what are we talking about this week? We've said it's going to be all about Battlestar Galactica, but before we get into that good stuff, let's go through some social media details. If you would like to get in contact with us across social media, you can do. All you need to do is head over to Facebook, Instagram, and watch us on Twitch at Retro Chat Podcast. You can tweet us um, at the Retro Chat Pod using the hashtag Back in Time. And you can also watch us on YouTube, which is uh, Retro Chat Podcast UK. And of course, as we said last week, we're now part of the MOS network. And if you want to check out all of the great work that Lee, Lawrence, and the rest of the network are doing, then you can do by watching them on the Ministry of Slam every Sunday at seven o'clock or listen to it on the audio feed and join in their socials on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at the MOS network. Very active on all the social media. You can join in the conversation uh, and let your comments be heard as well. And the show, The Ministry of Slam, is also on Twitter, at The Ministry of Slam podcast. With Retro Chat, you can listen to us on the audio feed. It's very straightforward. All you need to do is search for Retro Chat podcast, click subscribe, and you will get the latest episodes as they drop. And that means you will get the latest shows, you'll get Ministry of Slam, you're going to get the brand new Daily News, which we debuted uh, yesterday, a very quick look at um, some of the entertainment news that's happening in the world of TV, movies, music, video games, and of course, professional wrestling. Plus, you're going to get our From the Vault catalog, which will be things like Legends and Champions, it'll be classic Squared Circle interviews, it could be Two Men in Their Mics, it could be Master of the Universe Chronicles, so much dropping on the audio feed of the Retro Chat podcast. Uh, there is also a live interactive chat room. So if you do want to get involved in the conversation, then come and join us on any of those platforms. Uh, you can watch us now on YouTube and on Twitch. Just let us know you're there. Put the comment up, completely interactive. We'll read your comments out. They might even display up on screen and let us know what you think of Battlestar Galactica. So what was Battlestar Galactica? Well, quite simply, it's a show which really was underrated in, in many people's opinion and in mine, because it kind of came on that cusp of when space sci-fi was really kind of taking over. Uh, Star Trek had obviously aired in 1966, 1969. Star Wars had premiered at the cinema. We were uh, not far off from the motion picture coming. And Glenn Larson, the creator of Battlestar came up with this concept of a show set in space that really was about searching for the best of mankind in some ways, because it was about the colonies, about the 12 colonies of mankind um, that were in a war with the Cylons and they thought they were at peace. And it was due to a human traitor called Baltar that caused the colonies to be destroyed and for the Cylons to go on this, this ravage. And because of that, there was this ragtag fleet of 220 ships that were in search of a new home. And they began a quest to find the lost 13th tribe of humanity 
that had settled on a legendary planet called Earth. But the Cylons continued to pursue them relentlessly across the galaxy. And that, my friends, is how Battlestar Galactica was born. Now, what isn't known, and I didn't know this until I was doing research for the show, is that the creator, Glenn A. Larson, is a member of the Church of the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he actually incorporated many themes from Mormon theology into the show. We're not going to go into detail on that now, but it's interesting, isn't it, that the creator brings his own theology into the show. And maybe that's where this whole concept of the 12 colonies and of, of human civilization and human destruction. And what we're going to talk about later on is really the acclaim and the critical destruction and the legal challenges that the show went through. Now, Glenn Larson is no stranger to being successful TV because one of the properties that he created after BSG was that of not was that of the A-Team. And there's a great moment where Dirk Benedict in the intros, who plays Starbuck in this, sees the Cylon walking past and does the double take. And it's just that that little in-house humor of uh, of what's happening now. We don't know with this series when it was actually set. Um, but the final aired episode, which was called The Hand of God, indicated that the original transmission from Earth took place after July 1969, so after the Apollo moon landings. Um, but Galactica 1980 that followed soon after that is set expressively 30 years after that show. And originally, the show was called, was a pilot called Saga of a Star World, and it was going to be released as a movie. And in fact, it was. It was released in multiple territories, and it had a, a, a budget of around 8 million US dollars, which was huge at that point. Um, and although it was produced for television originally as part of a planned series of telemovies, Universal Studios decided to release an, a re-edited version of Saga of a Star World theatrically in order to recoup some of the production costs that they had. The producers believed the series could be a fine shot as a corner of the Star Wars market. Now, Star Wars had really taken the galaxy uh, by storm here. And what was interesting is everyone was trying to jump on the bandwagon, and, and that's what Battlestar really did. So on July the 8th of 1978, two months before its television debut in the US, the film was released in Canada on 75 screens. The film had its US premiere on September the 11th of 1978 at the Philadelphia International Film Festival and Exhibition. So we had a comment come through from the chat room from MJ Iverson, which is the most worthy opponent, Cylons? or Daleks? That's a really interesting question. I'd be intrigued to get your take on that because you know what? I don't, I don't know how you can really confer that. Cylons were just evil in their own right, but the Daleks, the Daleks were tenacious. They wanted that pure revenge of extermination, a bit like the Borg in Star Trek of wanting everyone to either become Dalek or become assimilated or become destroyed. Whereas the Cylons just wanted the Cylon race to to, to be it. Uh, they didn't care. They just wanted to destroy everybody and anybody. So really, it's a toss-up. I don't know. I would say Cylons. Uh, I'm talking about Battlestar, so I'm going to go with Cylons. Um, so as we said, the TV broadcast was broadcast in the US on September the 17th, 1978, just six days after um, the cinematic release. And the original three-hour broadcast was in three different US time zones. And it was interrupted uh, by over an hour from Camp David uh, because of the Camp David peace accords between Israel and Egypt. And it was overseen, of course, by President Carter. AS ABC resumed the broadcast uh, right where it interrupted. And in later years, the version has often been separated into three separate episodes, each being an hour long for syndication. In October, that film was shown overseas including in australia and some country countries in europe and latin america and while the series was still on air the film was shown in theaters in san antonio texas in memphis tennessee phoenix arizona um, and on may the 18th 1979 following the broadcast of the final episode the theatrical version was then released in front of 400 
US uh, theatres. Hello, Meryl. Uh, Meryl Hamilton there, the uh, amazing guitarist from Voodoo Vegas, saying hello. Now, what we mentioned earlier on was that the saga of the Star World was a different pilot uh, than what we had. And there were some differences, but they were only minor. The, the biggest difference is the fact that Baltar, the traitor, the human traitor, was actually executed by the Cylons. Uh, and instead, in the, in the film that we saw and in the TV series, he was actually spared and became on to uh, live in exile with them. The pilot of the series was budgeted at $8 million, as we said. It was one of the most expensive shows at that time and released theatrically in various countries. The pilot had originally been announced as the first of three made-for-television movies. That was what Battlestar was going to be about. It was just going to be TV movies. It wasn't going to be this episodic, episodic weekly tv with a different vision and a different alien and a different battle it was going to be three movies and after broadcast of the second episode which was called lost planet of the gods glenn announced the format change to a weekly series which actually caught the writers and the producers off guard and it resulted in several different um crash of the week episodes as we mentioned it also meant that production value and budget restraints were in place they were using a lot of very basic sets. They didn't have the budget to go out and do things. But what it did do was implement a costume change. And the costume change was that the warrior's dress uniform uh, featured a gold trim cape falling to the upper thigh. Now, because of the costume change, a portion of the movie was reshot. And this refilmed version was then released in cinemas in 1979 and the original version of the dress uniform which was a plain mid-thin length cape is documented in the official Battlestar Galactica scrapbook released in 1978 now if you can get a copy of that that is worth an absolute fortune so Battlestar Galactica was on air it's having fairly good ratings it's being received relatively well by the critics uh, by the viewers but not by the critics. And why was that? Well, the answer was because it was compared a lot to Star Wars. In fact, Isaac Asimov commented saying, Star Wars was fun and I enjoyed it, but Battlestar Galactica was Star Wars all over again. And I really couldn't enjoy it without suffering from amnesia. In 1978, 20th Century Fox sued Universal, who were the producers of Battlestar, for plagiarism, copyright infringement, unfair competition, and what's called the Lanham Act. They claimed it had stolen 34 different ideas from the Star Wars franchise, and Universal then promptly counter-sued them, claiming Star Wars had stolen ideas from their own 1972 film called Silent Running. This was notably what they called the robot drones, which was uh, similar to the Stormtroopers, and the Buck Rogers serials of the 1930s. 20th Century Fox's copyright claims were initially dismissed by the trial court in 1980, and then the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit remanded the case for trial in 1983. It was later resolved without going to trial. George Lucas, the director of Star Wars, threatened legal action against Apogee uh, Inc., who was a visual effects studio that was created by a man called John Dykstra, and other several other artists from Lucas's Industrial Light and Magic. He claimed that the work that the graphic studio had done on Galactica was being done with equipment that he had left behind for a project that would be in direct competition against Star Wars. Eventually, Apogee agreed to surrender the equipment to ILM, and several members of Dykstra's team returned to the company. Afterwards, Universal's newly formed visual effects division, Universal Heartland, took over the show's visual effects for the remainder of its run. Lucas went after Galactica merchandise, claiming that the Cylon Raider and the Colonial Viper toys could be confused with his own Star Wars toys. I suppose if you look at it, there is a similarity between the Viper and the X-Wings, but, you know, there's no, uh, there's no Death Star in Battlestar Galactica. 
His major bugbear about the toys, however, was the fact that the Galactica toys featured plastic pellets that could be fired, which would then simulate uh, lasers, and that these constituted a choking hazard for children. And Lucas, in his uh, overwhelming appeal for kids, didn't want to be blamed for any such accidents, despite none of the Star Wars toys offered by Kenner having anything similar. Unfortunately, on Christmas Day of 1978, an accident did occur, and a four-year-old child accidentally shot one of the pellets from a Cylon Raider into his mouth, where it got lodged in his larynx, and it caused his brain to be deprived of oxygen. He sadly passed away on New Year's Eve of 1978. The following year, Mattel immediately recalled the Galactica tools, uh, toys, but the parents uh, sued Mattel. Then there was a second incident involving a colonial viper toy, which ended in emergency surgery to remove an inhaled pellet from a young boy's lungs. The second incident, thank God, wasn't fatal, but Mattel subsequently redesigned all of its toys so that pellets could no longer leave the toy when fired. Controversy right from the outset, right? How do you survive that? Because back in the 70s, back in the 80s, especially on a property like Battlestar Galactica or Star Trek or He-Man or Star Wars or Thundercats, a lot of this inlay, a lot of this profit would come from the corresponding merchandise that would go with the property. And that's what Star Wars really made its money on, not just the box office, but on the merchandise and the collectibles that it would create. Star Trek to this day are still making money on new toys, new action figures. Our very own Lee and Lawrence are huge collectors of Hasbro wrestling figures. In fact, check out the Discord if you want to follow Lee's project on uh, renovating a Hasbro, classic Hasbro wrestling ring into a modern day. But that's the appeal. You want to play out those battles, don't you? You want to, you want to join in with the activities. You want to have those little fantasy battles between the Cylons versus Stormtroopers or the Cylons versus the Klingons or even... As we heard earlier on, Cylons versus the Daleks, that was part of the fun. And to lose that or to have a property besmirched by, you know, a, such a sad tragedy as what happened, it takes a lot for a manufacturer to give it another guarantee or for the public to give it trust or even for the studio to back it 100%. And that's what we had. Because initially, Battlestar Galactica was a huge rating success. In fact, it was so good that CBS counted programming by moving its Sunday block an hour earlier. And that meant it was just competing with Galactica in the eight o'clock time slot. From October 78 to March of 1979, All in the Family averaged more than 40% of the 8pm audience against Galactica's 28. Had a deal from the Discord chat room uh, I remember having plastic models of the spacecraft, hanging them from my ceiling with fishing line. Man, that would have been fantastic, right? I wasn't around in 1978. I wasn't born until about three years after. So I didn't get any of these, but I did do it with um, Star Wars toys when Empire Strikes Back comes, what came out and, and Return of the Jedi. And then, you know, some of the He-Man merchandise that came out, you know, massively on the wall. Things started to go down to really go downhill. And in mid-April of 1979, ABC executives cancelled Battlestar Galactica. And they cancelled it because they said the decision to bump the expensive Galactica was actually not surprising. The series had been broadcast irregularly in recent weeks. It was attracting slightly over a quarter of the audience that it had had in its original Sunday night time slot. Larson claimed that it was a failed attempt by ABC to reposition its number one program, the classic Mork and Mindy, into a more lucrative time slot. The cancellation led to viewer outrage and there were protests outside of ABC studios and it even contributed to the suicide of a man called Edward Seidel, who was a 15-year-old boy in St. Paul, Minnesota, who was obsessed with the program. For the, for the year that it was on air, for the 24 episodes that existed, Battlestar ranked 34th 
out of 114 shows airing that season. It averaged a 19.6 rating and a 30 share. Now, that's nothing to be laughed at. That's solid numbers. If you compare that to what's happening with WWE Raw at the moment, it's actually higher than what Raw is getting on USA Network. But ABC didn't see it. Battlestar was expensive. It didn't have the resources to put into it. What was the long-term plan for Battlestar? But what was interesting, as we said there earlier on, is the fact that actually what happened was very similar to that of Star Trek. Because when Star Trek got cancelled back in 1969, what happened? Fans went wild. Conventions started occurring. Petitions to Paramount to get the series back on air. The cast were in demand. And that is what happened with Battlestar Galactica. Richard Hatch, who played the character of Apollo, was passionate about getting this show back on air. He created his own pilot series. That's out on YouTube if you can find it. Have a watch of the, of the unaired pilot. He wanted it to continue. And for a while it did. And we'll touch on that in a second. The show is popular to this day. In fact, there are numerous Facebook groups and conventions and uh, Twitter conversations and YouTube channels focused purely on Battlestar Galactica. In fact, there's Battlestar Wiki that have followed us and retweeted the post that we did on social media today. Since I started looking at this project and started watching Battlestar Galactica again, I've been surprised about actually how good it was. I watched it with my dad um, when I was a kid. You know, my dad and I, uh, bless him, we, we watched the movie the original movie, the 1978. And um, I couldn't care that it was 1978 because I watched Star Wars and I was a sci-fi fan and it was it was just tremendous. And I remember sitting there with dad and we were watching it and, and he wasn't the biggest, you know, sci-fi fan of the time. He was like, yeah, you know, I watch Star Trek because you want to watch Star Trek. I don't really care about it. I watched the original series. He was hooked. And then we found out it was a weekly series and BBC Two started airing that series again in repeat and syndication. So we watched it and we've watched it a few times up until uh, his passing because of the fact it was such a good show. 24 episodes in, you were hooked. Some of the stories were crash. I mean, yeah, some of the stories were terrible. Some of the acting was a bit wooden. But the actual concept of what it was and the way they wrote it and the way they produced it really was a showcase for some of the talent that they had. I mean, bear in mind, Lorne Green, one of the most renowned actors of his time, played Adama. Dirk Benedict, a very young Dirk Benedict, just at the cusp of his career, went on to international fame with the A-Team. And Richard Hatch, who we'll talk about in a moment, as we said, kept up with Battlestar Galactica, kept it running, kept it going, and played a part in the reboot. But one of the interesting things about Battlestar, and I didn't realize this actually, and it's, it's only since doing the research on it, is the language and what they did to use. So primarily the colonial language was English, but they wrote it to include several fictional words that differentiated in culture from, from that of, of what we say. Most notably, this was time and, and expletives. And the words were roughly equivalent to their English counterparts, but with some minor technical differences. So the big, the big expletive was frack, um, which was spelt F-R-A-K. Uh, there was also felgagarb and goldmogging. These words got through the senses. They avoided the US FCC guidelines on the use of profanities. And to this day, they're still being used. Um, just to try, <laughs> You know, if I really want to lose my temper in front of my little limb, I don't say the F word, but he might get frack. So the show ended. The show was no more. But fan popularity, as we said, was so much there that they brought it back. But they brought it back as Galactica 1980. Richard Hatch, Dirk Benedict, didn't want to be involved. 
didn't want to come back to the show. So what they did was they said it 30 years from the ending of Battlestar 78. They'd reached Earth. They were colonizing Earth. Two new characters were introduced. One was Boxer, the son, the boy, now a full-grown adult. They went out and they were your main two cast members. Played by Barry Van Dyke, Richard Lynch, Lorne Green returned, and Kent McCord. And Galactor 80 happened because of this writing campaign. But because writing campaigns in favor of restoring these canceled programs were uncommon, it prompted ABC to rethink their reasoning. And after some consideration, they went, Glenn, bring it back, but bring it back in a cheaper and less expensive format. And Glenn Larson agreed. He said he felt that the show needed some major change to relaunch it as a spin-off. So Larson and Donald P. Uh, Belisario, who you will all know from Quantum Leap, decided to set the new series after the final one. The major characters to appear from the original series would have been Commander Adama, Colonel Boomer, who would replace in Ty, Apollo, Starbuck, and Count Baltar. Baltar was to have made atonement for betraying the colonies of the Cylons and was now the president of the Council of Twelve. But as we said, they didn't want to come back. So they didn't. The program was changed. Commander Adoma stayed and these new characters were brought in. And after the pilot was completed, the network was unhappy with the time travel aspects of the show. And that was intended to be an ongoing premise in each episode. So they agreed to pick up the series if they got rid of that time travel element. Larson and Belisario disagreed, uh, agreed to that, and the series became focused on those two new characters. As we said, Belisario returned to his time travel concept and it became Quantum Leap. And spoiler, we have Quantum Leap coming up in the next few months. The relaunch has been announced. Quantum Leap is coming back to Peacock. We're gonna be covering the original Quantum Leap right here on Retro Chat. So anyone listening out there or watching this right now would like to be involved, please hit me up, let me know, and we'll bring you on. Hedda Steele is saying he used to hate uh, that, that guy, the Cylon president. Yeah, so did I. But John Kolikos, who played Baltar, of course, also known to Star Trek fans as Kang. Paid on the original series, of uh, course, sorry, paid on the original series and also made several appearances on Deep Space Nine before his, his passing. So, you know, there's your crossover right there. The final episode of Galactica 80 was a tie-up. And it tied it up in a very unique way. Because what it did was it brought back the character of Starbuck. Dirk Benedict agreed to come back for a one-shot. They knew this was the end. The producers knew, uh, the actors knew, the cast knew, the production team knew, the network knew. And Glenn Larson basically went, to hell with it. We're not doing a Galactica 80 story. We are going to do a story that I want to do. And he took it right back to the original series. It was set aboard the Galactica. It involved Starbuck and Boomer coming back from a Cylon attack. Starbuck getting shot down onto a planet. And I'm not going to go into detail on it. And the reason why is we're going to do an episode review of the return of Starbuck very shortly here on Retro Chat because it is such a beautiful episode, touches on a lot of different 
factors and as, as an hr professional <laughs> sorry as an hr professional it touches a lot of skin a lot of bones with me and a lot of nerves so we'll be covering that in more detail but if you haven't seen it check out episode 10 of galactica 80 the return of starbuck because you will not be disappointed it has gone on record as being one if not the best episode of galactica it was cancelled because the program was poorly received it wasn't even um battlestar it's a battlestar fans it was a kids program edit a different time slot um it was just bad so after it was cancelled after galactica 80 was cancelled that was it for the original uh battlestar galactica crew and the original battlestar galactica dynamic the 1080 episodes were rolled into television syndication package and were given the name battlestar the same as its parent following the cancellation of 80 a feature film called conquest of the earth was stitched together from sections of the three galactica discover earth episodes and also the two episodes called the night the cylon landed a scene of John Colicos as Baltar was also spliced into the release, and the latter footage was actually taken from an episode of the original series because Baltar doesn't appear in any Galactica 80 episodes. And he's partially dubbed so as to make the speech sound relevant to Galactica's new situation. Some early scenes that were involving Adama and the very annoying Dr. Z are also partially dubbed to add more explanatory detail and to explain why two actors appear to be playing the role of Dr. Z. The feature was released in cinemas in Europe, New Zealand, and Australia, and on home video elsewhere. It's really had a trying time, Galactica. But it is a show that really just grows with fan appreciation it's a show that i think you just end up loving because of the fact that it is just so different it is similar to what you've seen before but the way they do it is just incredibly unique and it's one of the things that i love about battlestar galactica so much it's because of the fact that they weren't afraid to take a risk. They weren't afraid, in a way, to rip off um, Star Wars. <laughs> they weren't afraid to do it. They really didn't care. And that, I think, is one of the cool things about the show. But what did you think of um, Battlestar Galactica? What did you think of Galactica 1980. And you notice that we didn't touch at all on the rebrand, on the 2003 rebrand. And there was a reason, there's a simple reason for that. We're gonna do it, we're gonna do it separately. Um, that deserves its own show. Battlestar Galactica deserves to have a show of its own. And I talked last week on the show about some of the animatronics that they did. And it's true that the character of the bear, the, the, the robotic bear that they had was a monkey. Yeah. I thought I better check that just in case I got it wrong, but no, it was actually a monkey and it was a cost cutting measure. Now why they didn't just, you know, use somebody in a, in a, in a thing, I don't know, but you know, that's what they did. It was a cost cutting measure. Right, so what else is upcoming right here on the Retro Chat podcast? Well, in a moment, we're going to have a look at some of the latest news because we haven't done uh, the daily update this week. And the reason for that is quite simply uh, because we're live tonight. So this is, uh, we've got one more comment in the chat room. Again, head of steel. Um, I remember enjoying the 78 series. I was too young to know about all the backstage drama. So was I. And in fact, you know what, Head? I only really knew about some of the backstage drama because of, of doing the research for these shows and what I found over the years as a fan. 
you know, it just wasn't, I think it's a bit like professional wrestling. Sometimes you can get spoiled uh, and, and it takes the fun away from it. Um, but it shouldn't do. It should, it should be one thing that, that you really do, uh, that you really do enjoy. All right, let's get to some news of the week uh, before we wrap. All right, let's kick it off with some wrestling news. And we're actually going to be talking about Ring of Honor. Now, Ring of Honor uh, announced at the end of last year that they're going to go on hiatus until April. Well, today they made an announcement, and the announcement was this. To coincide with ROH's 20th anniversary, the company is proud to announce the establishment of the ROH Hall of Fame. Since its inception, ROH has created excellence in professional wrestling by giving the best wrestlers on the planet a platform to showcase, showcase their talent. New ROH will honor the outstanding athletes who have contributed greatly to making it one of the most influential pro wrestling promotions in the industry. The first inductee into the inaugural ROH Hall of Fame will be revealed on Monday. Subsequent inductees will be announced on the 7th, the 14th and the 21st of February. Also, each episode of ROH Wrestling in February will be devoted to a Hall of Fame inductee, and there will be weekly YouTube specials on the inductees. Now, that's got me thinking, guys, about who would be going in. Now, I'm sure Lee and Lawrence will have their own take on that, and they'll talk about that this Sunday on Ministry of Slam. But you've got to think the class of 2022 are going to include the likes of Samoa Joe. Is that to tie in a return for Samoa Joe to ROH? when they come back to doing shows in, in April. CM Punk has got to be a shout. Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson has got to be a shout. Adam Cole, Homicide. You know, a lot of the guys who are not WWE, you're not going to see Kevin Steen going into the ROH Hall of Fame anytime soon. You're not going to see Sami Zayn going into it. But a lot of the AEW guys and some of the Impact ROH alumni, I think you've got a cracking chance of, of getting them um, in. Original Charlie Brown voice actor Pete Robbins has died at the age of 65. Um, he played characters in numerous Peanuts specials. Uh, Robbins first voiced Charlie Brown in 1965's Charlie Brown Christmas, and he reprised the role for Charlie Brown All-Stars, It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, You're in Love, Charlie Brown, He's Your Dog, Charlie Brown, and It Was a Short Summer. He returned for later specials such as 1985's It's Your 20th Anniversary and the 1990's You Don't Look 40. Robbins formally retired from acting in 1972 and in more recent years ran into legal trouble, having been arrested multiple times since 2013. In 2015, he was sentenced to four years in prison, but was transferred to a psychiatric hospital due to bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. He was released on parole in 2019. He once made a comment saying, I would recommend to anybody that has bipolar to take it seriously because your life can turn around in the span of a month like it did to me. I came out of prison and I'm a better person for it. I'm much more humble and grateful and thankful that I lived through the experience. Outside of Peanuts, Robbins was featured in The Monsters, F Troop, Good Times, Get Smart, Blondie and My San Diego Son. So condolences go out to the family of Pete Robbins there. Mortal Kombat, the new Mortal Kombat reboot, is officially getting a sequel with Moon Knight head writer and executive producer Jeremy Slater tackling the script. According to Variety, Warner Brothers and New Line are currently developing a sequel to the video game adaptation, which dropped last year both on HBO Max and in theaters. Jeremy Slater, the head writer and exec producer on the upcoming Moon Knight series, will pen the script. Mortal Kombat debuted on April the 23rd in 2021, released simultaneously on HBO Max and in theaters as part of Warner's strategy to combat the pandemic's impact on cinema. The movie ended up earning $42.2 million at the domestic box office and landed a global total of $83.6 million. While concrete streaming numbers weren't released, Warner Media Executive Vice President of Growth and Revenue, Brad Wilson, said in June that Mortal Kombat had outperformed expectations. 
He said that Mortal Kombat was an interesting title because I will say that while we expected it to do well, we did not expect it to do as well as it did. It's been one of our top assets on the platform. While today's announcement is the first official confirmation that a sequel is in the works, it's not an actually an unexpected development. The movie ended teasing the arrival of Johnny Cage, one of the main fan favorite characters that was absent from the adaptation and the focus of the 90s film of the same name. Much the disappointment of audiences, the reboot also eschewed the tournament itself for a batch of informal fights. As such, there's plenty of storyline potential for a sequel. And uh, there is a rumor going around that Mike Mizanin, the Miz, is trying to get the role of Johnny Cage. I really don't know how that is going to work. Uh, another bit of news for Disney Plus fans, and this one is, I hope, going to be of interest to uh, those of you who like the Mighty Ducks, because they have cast the replacement for Emilio Estevez. Jupiter's legacy alum Josh Domahel will replace Estevez as the new male lead in season two of Game Changers on Disney Plus. The Disney Plus show has tapped the alumni of Jupiter's legacy as the new male lead because of his portrayal in that film. Domahel will portray a former NHL player turned coach named Gavin Cole, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Cole is described as an inspirational, charming, and a hardcore believer in using the game of hockey as a metaphor for life. The new season will see Cole running an intense summer hockey institute attended by what is now the new Mighty Ducks. It was revealed back in November that Estefez would not be returning as coach Gordon Bombay for season two of Game Changers. And while it was initially reported that the actor refused to comply with the vaccine requirement of production, Estefez later released a statement claiming it was in fact a contract dispute as the real reason for his departure. He said in the statement that I want to address what transpired and clear up some falsehoods which appeared in an article regarding my decision to depart Game Changers. In the final analysis, this was nothing more than a good old-fashioned contract dispute and not, as some would believe, an anti-vaccine position. While I can't speak for anyone else in regards to this polarizing, sensitive issue, I have my own lived experience. Domahel joins a cast that includes the season one stars Lauren Graham and Brady Noon, and Game Changers will also see the return of showrunners Kathy Jesper and Josh Goldsmith, who are credited with creating the series alongside Stephen Brill. Interesting times over at Disney Plus in terms of replacing um, Amelia Westerfez. How is that going to impact the Mighty Ducks? How is that going to impact the characters? How is that going to impact the story? Are you actually even interested in watching the Mighty Ducks Game Changers now that um, Estevez is no longer in the series? It's an interesting one because, you know, it was a cracking series, what they did. Um, but we're going to have to find out. All right, that's it for this edition of Retro Chat. Thank you for joining me. Let's give you a little bit of promotion about what is upcoming because next week, we're going to be back live here at eight o'clock, this time talking about this. We're going to be doing the great debate. Who exactly is the greatest wrestling manager? Is it Jim Cornette or is it Bobby the Brain Heenan? We're going to have two guests on the show, one representing Jim Cornette, one representing Bobby Heenan, and they will be battling it out to determine who is the greatest wrestling manager so that's next week right here on retro chat and what i can now reveal is that representing bobby the brain heenan will be mos's lee tires and representing jim Cornette will be peanut from real wrestling wrestling.net full details will be in the link um both of these guys but lee as we all know is a passionate old school wrestling fan so is peanut this is going to be a cracking debate. So join us next Wednesday, the 2nd of February, 8 o'clock, live right here on the Retro Chat podcast across all of the information superhighway. Tomorrow night, uh, as you're listening to us or watching to us, join Lawrence 
on the Ministry of Slam for the Royal Rumble preview show. Who is going to be victorious and go to WrestleMania to face off against the champion of their choosing? Will Ronda Rousey return at the Royal Rumble? Will Mickey James, the Impact's knockout champion, win? She's not. The Royal Rumble women's match. What is going to happen? What is going to happen this Saturday night at the Royal Rumble? Check it out with Lawrence. And then on Sunday, uh, it's Ministry of Slam live. It's the Royal Rumble recap show. Lee and Lawrence taking the helm for about three hours, as they always do, talking Royal Rumble, talking GCW, and all of the news of the week. Busy week on the MOS Network. Busy week, as always, here at Retro Chat. We'll be back with daily news uh, tomorrow and Friday and coming back as well next week with more. Now, if you would like to get involved with us on the show, you can do. All you need to do is head over to our socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch at Retro Chat Podcast. You can join in the conversation on Twitter at Retro Chat Pod using the hashtag back in time and you can watch on youtube at retro chat podcast uk if you're watching us on video and you want to take us in your earplugs and listen to us in your ears then listen to the audio podcast by subscribing on all good podcast providers all you need to do is search retro chat podcast and we've got much more stuff coming on that feed as we talked about earlier on including some from the vault don't forget, MOS Network continues to take the information superhighway by storm. Uh, and you can keep up to date with all of the latest happenings on the network on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at the MOS Network. And you can follow Ministry of Slam themselves on Twitter at the Ministry of Slam. Congratulations to the guys. It's one year since the show came back and what a run they've had so far. You can listen to the MOS podcast on a Monday on all good podcast providers. And you can listen to it right here on the Retro Chat theme, uh, podcast feed, as well as checking out MOS Classics, which goes back 13 years when we were all bonny young little lads talking professional wrestling in the good old days of when wrestling was good. Um, well, ish, I suppose. Don't really know. Uh, we got much more coming up on Retro Chat. We've got Only Fools and Horses in the next couple of weeks. We're going to be talking In Your House, the final four. We're going to be talking some Voyager, some Star Trek Voyager, some A-Team episodes. We are also going to be celebrating 40 episodes of Retro Chat by focusing on one of the greatest Netflix series ever, a spin-off of a legacy movie trilogy that's Cobra Kai. We're going to be focusing on uh, talking about Cobra Kai, why it's good, how it's continued the legacy of the Karate Kid, and what is next for the characters of uh, Johnny and Daniel LaRusso. But until then, that's it for me. I will see you all very soon. Until then, take care. Join us on the MOS Network. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing to us. And we will see you all very soon. But until then, good night.